This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. This morning, I wanted to start the talk. I want to talk about community and what community means in this context. But also to talk about... In particular, what practice is, and what nourishes what nourishes us in our practice, because that's what sustains us. Right? Sustains our practice is nourishing is our nourishment that we derive. And it's not a it's not a a, a self nourishment. It's not just for ourselves. Right? True nourishment, as we find when we practice, whether it's practicing Zen or practicing uh, another heart-mind practice that connects, that, that's based in uh, our interconnectedness. What we find is that what nourishes us in our practice is actually what nourishes uh, the, the us is much bigger than we conventionally think of. Right? Sometimes we think of us as there's an us and a them, right? and that's a dualistic understanding of us. And what I'm here to say today is that our practice, when I say our practice, I don't mean an us and them. I mean an our practice as in our, as human beings, as sentient beings, as being a part of the completely interconnected and complex, ever-changing web of life and death on this planet, who knows how for, much further out. That's what I mean when I say our practice. Now, you may think like, oh well, what is our practice? And, and we may even look at other people's practices and say, I don't know about that practice. <laughs> and that's okay, right? We're gonna do that. But really what, what, what we have to come back to over and over again is what is nourishing to our practice to our life as human beings, as uh, living beings on this planet, beneficiaries of this planet and all its, what we, I guess, people call them resources, right? Resources is kind of a weird word because it's like, okay, it's something for us to use. And sometimes it's renewable, sometimes it's non-renewable, Right? But it's something that's used up. I think Tim gave a talk last week on resources. Didn't you talk about Suzuki Rishi's yeah. uh, his, his talk on money and money as an energy flow? Right? Money is a resource. You can exchange it for all kinds of things. Right? But it needs to flow. It needs to flow throughout life. If it gets caught up and stuck somewhere, then it's not really doing any good. So in the same way, our community life, our practice life, and what nourishes us, what ultimately comes down to nourishing us, is what nourishes all of us, not just some of us. So I want to start with this, uh, this poem that I, I heard last weekend 
while Tim was giving the talk, I was at my third weekend of internal family systems training and doing the level one training here in Austin. And I really love, I love this model of looking at uh, the self, this thing that we don't really, really have, but we do conventionally have a self. And this past, this weekend that in this training, the focus was on our exiles, our inner exiles, which uh, I don't know, does anybody not know what that might refer to? Your inner exile? Catherine? Don't know. All right. <laughs> Do you want to? Yes. <laughs> so an inner exile in this model of the self, there's many different parts. We have, all of us are uh, multifaceted. We are multitudes. And we have many different parts um, that all try to maintain our balance, the system, system's balance, right? And there are some parts of ourselves that we're not very happy about and we don't really like. And maybe we've been shamed for those parts sometime in our lives. And so we vowed, we, maybe there was a childhood vow of like, never again, never am I going to, you know, do X. Or am I going to be seen in this way? Or am I going to, uh, whatever it is, because of uh, either shame or blame or some kind of trauma that we've experienced, maybe as kids, maybe as adults, right? Maybe it's something that's con that continues on. And when there's a part of us that, feels, that makes us feel vulnerable and unsafe and maybe bad and maybe even unworthy, right? We all have these parts whether they're visible or invisible, we have parts that feel really crappy, basically. And what the system does in this psychological model is it tries to exile those parts. It tries to hide them away, suppress them, or, at least, or manage them, control them, make sure that they don't rise up in our system and take over, because that would be very embarrassing. Right. And so this weekend, I spent looking at our exiles. So it was very exhausting. <laughs> it was an exhausting weekend, but very, uh, very important to be able to see all of ourselves, not just the parts that we want to see, right? The ones that we want to put forward out into the world and say, oh, look, this is me, right? It's actually, we're much, much, much bigger, much more complex than that. So in this looking at our exiles workshop, uh, this training where we're looking at exiles, um, the topic was not just looking at the exiles, or uncovering the exiles, like how do you get to them? How do you even get to these exiles when they're so protected? And when we've built up our internal defenses to, to, uh, to hide them away, to exile, to exile them. You think of them as these like very sad children that we've locked away in the basement. Right. <laughs> really, right, in our own internal exiles. And the, uh, the weekend was on how to unburden them. How do we unburden our inner exiles? So I missed the, missed the Dharma talk last week, but I heard it was really good. And I was out doing my own exile work. And uh, it came up in the talk. The exiles? I hope you made them feel welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, just the, the image of the moon came up. 
up in sort of this wholeness of incorporating oh. all of who we are as an act of awakening. Yeah, as an act of awakening, and, and ultimately, it's an act uh, of kindness and compassion. Right? Because how many of us, when we look at our internal exiles, actually, wish, like, we don't have a lot of kindness towards them. Right? That's part of the problem, actually, is that our own internal exiles, we want them to go away. And we uh, expend a large amount of our energy and resources, internal and external, to uh, making sure that they don't pop up. Making sure that they're either managed in the, you know, our managers manage them, and when they can't manage them, then our other protectors come out, like maybe our rebels, right? The parts that, you know, lean towards not so wholesome or healthy behaviors as a way of covering over the pain that's there, actually. So whatever the other these other protectors are, their intention is to keep balance and keep some kind of harmony, internal harmony, but they don't necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily work, and they can only do it for so long before our internal exiles are like, no, ouch, 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 and we have to pay attention. So internal and external, we can see these uh, these things at play. So I want to read this poem. This is poem is um, by a woman named Mickey Scottby Jones. Anyone heard of her? No? She's a, uh, um, I don't know very much about her, but because I, the, it, somebody read this poem at this, uh, this training that I was at, so I wanted to share it. The poem is called Invitation to Brave Space. And um, Mickey Scoppy Jones is an African American social activist. She's a, a Christian activist for social justice, and she's based out of Nashville, I believe. And this is her poem. Together we will create brave space, because there is no such thing as safe space. We exist in the real world. We all carry scars, and we have all caused wounds. In this space, we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world. We amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. We call each other to more truth and love. We have the right to start somewhere and continue to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think we know we will not be perfect. This space will not be perfect. It will not always be what we wish it to be, but it will be our brave space together, and we will work on it side by side. So, yesterday, uh, a few of us here, I don't know if, uh, many, uh, how many people actually ended up going downtown to the Capitol for the youth climate strike. Um, there are about, I don't know, maybe eight to ten of us, plus a group of us from some Abumata folks. And, um, you know, we had our signs and we were out and about and feeling like, um, I don't know about for, for those of you who were, who were there, but at one point when I saw a group of kids from, it was a particular, maybe a particular school, that when they turned the corner and they were all coming out and there were, you know, multiple ages, some very young, coming out and 
they had, were chanting some, some slogan. Uh, and it brought tears to my eyes. It made me, it really felt, um, I felt honored to have, be, to have the opportunity to be there and to, and to be, um, to stand in that space. Somebody, uh, somebody came up at one point and said, um, what, are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> what, are there particular policy? What, what, is the, what is our ask, basically? And uh, I, was, I was kind of taken aback by the question because it, it sounded a little bit like, you know, are we just here to you know, make noise and be seen and um, you know, do that with each other? in support of each other. And part of me was like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're here to make noise, and we're here to be seen, and we're here to see each other and support one another. And in terms of specifics, I think there are some specifics. There's some real specific asks going on at, that, at the, um, the event last yesterday, across the world, actually. And... Um, you know, to be a part of a community of people who I've never seen before, I've never met before, but to feel touched. And us being out there with our signs and our, we had a, we brought one of these parasols that uh, was made for our spring fair. And it was quite large, you know, tall and streamers. And I think the Chronicle came by <laughs> and asked, like, well, who are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> Is that right? Is that Bill? Did you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the just being able to be a part of uh, something that is uh, that we believe in, and being a support has a way of nourishing deeper than any other kind of sustenance, actually. Um, sorry if I'm a little rambly, but there's a, I've got a lot of different things swirling around. Uh, Sherry. So, um, I was reading this morning, David Lloyd talks about this, and, and he changes bodhisattva to eco-sattva. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said that the, the main aim is to have an appropriate response. Yeah, that's what we're, we're here to do. To find out together, as a community, also as an individual, but, you know, as individuals, Bouncing off one another, sharing ideas, seeing uh, and taking heart in each other's efforts and engagements. Yeah. So being becoming eco sattvas. You all familiar with the term bodhisattva? Yeah. All right. This community here, um, it's not a very big community here in Austin. There are much larger uh, communities organizations. Um, this community is based in the teachings of Zen Buddhism. In particular, we uh, keep coming back to the teachings of a founder of this school in um, America, Suzuki Roshi, Shunryu Suzuki, the author of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And as Tim mentioned, he went out to a conference with uh, a number of other sanghas like ours that are hail from the Suzuki Roshi lineage, mostly as practiced at the San Francisco Zen Center. There are other Suzuki Roshi lineages that are not San Francisco Zen Center based. I just want to mention that. 
because they, they get all like, uh, <laughs> they actually are not necessarily part of ranking streams, like Berkeley Zen Center, for example, or Sonoma Mountain Zen Center, both of whom uh, are run by direct disciples of Suzuki Roshi. There were folks from Berkeley there. There were folks from Berkeley. Oh. Nice. Excellent. Um, being in a, in a community or seeing a community, having a gathering where you get to see what is not necessarily always seen. So as Tim mentioned, you know, just, the, just being around a huge number of other sanghas out there, struggling with the same kinds of issues that we struggle with, right? How do we, how do we uh, offer the Dharma to the world in an urban setting? How do we show up? How do we use the, the precious resources that we do have, you know, maximize the benefits, maximize their reach? How do we respond to events that are happening in our local communities that are not necessarily right here, but in our cities, in our towns? Um, Tim, do you, I was going to invite you to say something about just, you know, to, Pat was going to be here too, and she sent notes, which I'm going to post, but... I want, to, I want to hear. I want to hear from you. Sure, I'd be happy to. I, I think um, uh, I'm really enjoying um, Marco's words today, um, and I, I find it interesting. We had a shared experience in that the conference ended Thursday afternoon, and we we had been staying at a, a Catholic retreat center um, along Lake Michigan, uh, just south of Milwaukee. And so after the retreat ended, we went to, some of us went to the Milwaukee Zen Center just to visit them and see what their, you know, center look, looks like and their practice there. And so together with folks from the Milwaukee Zen Center yesterday, we went to City Hall in Milwaukee for the climate strike march. And um, the people were gathering in the morning before marching to a different park where the speeches were going to be, but they were gathering in City Hall. And as we walked up to it, you know, there was a few thousand people there, but a school bus pulled up next to us. And first of all, I was sort of hardened, like, oh, they took a school bus to come to the march. Like, somebody in their school system must have sanctioned this or something. Like, it was. But as they pulled up and they started to get off, and these were junior high, maybe high school kids, the other thousands of people erupted in applause for these kids mm. that were coming off of a bus. And I had a, a kind of teary-eyed moment, like, That sort of unconditional support for, for younger people, when younger people are often kind of marginalized or you don't, you don't understand yet or you don't know, um, that support felt deeply nourishing or touching to me to be, to be a part of. Um, so in terms of the conference, it's, um, it's quite an amazing thing to watch Suzuki Roshi's lineage and Zen um, kind of spread through America. Um, and you know, I came across a number of centers that I'd never heard of that, you know, were at this conference and sort of things, um, new centers pop up. The Milwaukee Zen Center is actually another example. It was in a different lineage. Um, and it's only recently that they, they hired a new head teacher, Raven Gumbel, uh, who was instrumental in organizing this um, gathering, that now it is considered part of the Suzuki lineage. So these things happen in many different ways, but um, the the 
the gathering itself was focused on the theme of justice. Um, and so there were speakers on climate justice, um, social justice, including um, you know, prison and policing. Um, and yeah, and a bunch of other sort of affinity group, breakout groups uh, around particular issues. So I just wanted to share, one of the speakers was um, Stephanie Kazan, who was a, um, uh, a pretty well-known author and speaker on climate justice issues. And she was selling her books, and I actually, um, I got this book called Conversation with Trees. Um, if anybody wants to look at it. It made me think of my sister, honestly, because she has this relationship with, with trees. And it made me think of the, you know, coming to the Austin Zen Center for the first time and kind of um, feeling this kind of intense connection with, the, with our tree up front. So um, I think this is the kind of nourishment that keeps us connected with our world and keeps us kind of careful with our resources. Anyway, I, I have some notes on a lot of the different speakers um, that I'll also try and post. And feel free to ask me questions or Pat when she gets back and we'd be happy to, to speak more about it. Thank you. I have uh, Pat's notes here that she typed up and sent me at like 3 in the morning. <laughs> Pat's stuck somewhere. She was going to get on a 6, 6 a.m. flight in Milwaukee. So okay, so she stayed in Milwaukee. Yeah. And why? Why were the flights canceled? Yeah. <laughs> Why were flights through Houston <laughs> rerouted? <laughs> and then uh, another another coming together that happened this week that I also want to uh, highlight and give thanks for is that we had our first people of color color gathering here on last uh, Monday night. I think there were maybe about 10 people who came, came to them. And if you look around our Sangha, we can see that it's primarily, primarily a white space, right? And when you talk to our members and ask them, what, what is it about Austin Zen Center that you so appreciate? So many people say the feeling of inclusion. I think, Sherry, you actually use the word inclusivity. Right. So how do we share, how do we open ourselves to a feeling of inclusivity to everyone who comes through these doors, who wants to be here, who wants to practice? We have these gatherings. Right? I think uh, when we were, we, uh, I don't think I've talked to this group since we returned from the Tassajara Sangha week. We were there for five days at the, the, our parent monastery, Tassajara Zen Mountain Center in California, where over the weekend that we were there, it happened to correspond to a workshop with, with, with Reverend uh, Angel Kyoto Williams and Abbas Fu Schrader from Green Gulch Farm talking about social justice, talking about undoing whiteness and examining deeply white privilege. Something that's, I don't know how many white people actually look at deeply. And why, why would they? 
And a good question. It's a good question. I'm I'm asking this question as a um, it's a probing question. Why would one look at one's own privilege? Tim. Maybe through the through the understanding of um, nourishment is a kind of totality thing. Absolutely. If not everybody is nourished, then I'm not nourished. Absolutely. Because the us, as I mentioned in the beginning, the us is bigger than who looks like us, or who looks, or who prays like us, or who uh, uh, speaks like us. Right? There's no there, the us has got to be everyone. That's what Mahayana. <laughs> that's what the Mahayana is. It's called the great vehicle for a reason. Great vehicle meaning that everybody, everybody without exception, is welcome onto the boat that takes us across the shore, across the, the other shore, right? In Buddhist lingo, that's the way it's described, right? The bodhisattva path is a path where everyone, everyone without exception, please go ahead of me until there's no one remaining. Then you step in to the boat. Then you accept your own awakening when every other being has been liberated. That's what I like about our tradition. I think that's what draws so many people to our tradition, is this knowledge, because when we sit in silence and we, uh, whether it's alone or with others, but I think especially when we sit with others and we drop our preconceived notions and we just turn inward and we look deeply at our own full fullness of being, which as, it, as I mentioned, includes those exiles, right? It includes all of our own strength and our own woundedness. It has to. It can't, it can't dismiss any of it because then it's not true. And in the same way, internally and externally, until our communities are supportive, our support extends completely and thoroughly to all beings, it can't be true. There's something false about it. Right? Something is missing. So how do, we, uh, how do we turn towards that, that which is missing, and shine light onto it and bring it in to our awareness? How do we do that individually? And how do we do that as a community? I do it in a way it's where, where I can where I can find it, where the opportunities arise. I happen to be able to have this seat. This is a very big privilege to be in the seat and to be able to speak. And I want to use it wisely. And I want to invite others' voices into the room. And I want to be open to, as, this, uh, as Mickey says in her poem, we have the right to start somewhere and continue to grow we have the responsibility to examine what we think we know. Right? Because ultimately, what we think we know, we think we know a lot. <laughs> and we have to. We, we go through our lives. We can't go through our lives as utter you know, skeptics about every little thing. We have to make a stand. We put one foot in front of the other, and we trust that the ground is there to support us. We can't do otherwise. But we can examine our assumptions. We can examine our preconceived notions. 
And most importantly, when something comes up that scares us, right? When we look inside and see something that is um, that makes us, it might just be something that makes us feel slightly uncomfortable. It might fill us with terror, right? No matter what it is, when we find that inside, when we let our, our the busyness of our minds come to a settled, still point, then we're faced with what it is, right there, to be human. This life, and our place in this life. And we, we go a little bit closer to it, and uh, somebody recently uh, was talking about their experience of, of touching something vulnerable and having that feeling of recoiling. This, this twitch, <laughs> this inner twitch that when we come to some semblance of stillness, we might be able to hear it and see it and feel into it. And then, because we've cultivated this ability to stay with what's uncomfortable, right? This is, anybody who's sat a meditation retreat <laughs> knows <laughs> this is part of what we're cultivating is the ability to stay with it. We see that, like that little shift or the part of us that wants to turn away. And we say, okay, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you through this. This desire or urge to turn away. It's like, no, 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 come back, come back. How do we cultivate that in ourselves is our, what our practice is about. Right? This is what we're cultivating. It's... It's hard work. <laughs> it's hard work and it takes effort. And it takes um, being called to more truth and love. This is what it takes. And the benefit of it and the reward, the fruits of this labor, individually as well as collectively, is this deep nourishment. This deep nourishment that comes from experiencing the very truth of our existence, which is that we are completely interconnected. And what serves our interconnection is what serves me as an individual. And as much as I want to partition and cut off these parts of myself or parts of the world, maybe even whole political parties, Right? It's not that the urge isn't there to do that, but what is, the, what is the appropriate response? What is the appropriate response? And sometimes it's putting a foot down, saying, no, stop that. You can't do this. You're destroying the planet. You're destroying lives. Right? Sometimes it's becoming involved and active in your work, your uh, you know, what you what you do in your in your daily life, what you uh, support, whether it's financially or by volunteering, to stay connected to that which is nourishing. It's hard. It's hard work. And I really love this. Um, there is no such thing as safe space. Some of you may know we, we went through a uh, uh, maybe a year-long process, 
was it about a year? Our safe sangha? It was longer. It was longer. <laughs> <laughs> we went through a long process talking about safety, actually. And it's not that it's, this is, um, to say that there is no safe space is not like, okay, we, we can just throw that idea out and we can just, you know, uh, not, be, not be aware or concerned about safety in our communities. But this turning of looking at safety and turning towards a bravery, courage, right? The root of courage is heart, is open-hearted. Right? It's open-heartedness. And the ways in which every one of us is involved in our lives and finding that nourishment. Um, I want to just... Uh, so personally, for myself, through this community, about, it was one year ago, a little bit over a year ago, my, um, my mother, a Japanese mother, not, English was not her first language, she moved to this country after, I guess she, she moved to this country 45, 46 years ago, never really learned English that well, but she was dying. And I moved her here to Austin to be closer to me so that I could take care of her. And during that whole time when she was here in Austin, a number of community members came forward and took the initiative to come sit with her, bring her lunch, hear her stories. That one, that act of kindness, this community manifested in response to what was happening. And I myself feel so um, deeply appreciative and nourished. And uh, people from in this room stepped forward when my mother finally passed and helped wash her body, helped carry her out to her burial site. We put her into the ground ourselves as a community, as a group. Spontaneous poems arose at that event. It rained briefly and then the sky cleared. It was beautiful. And uh, I was reflecting on this this past week and just feeling, um, looking at community and what community is, there's so many ways in which we can um, try to cultivate like a, you know, a time and a place and there's logistics involved, there's, there's resources, there's driving around, there's doing all these things, but really ultimately what it comes down to, I mean, not to say that all those other things aren't necessary, but it comes down to people showing up because their heart speaks it, right? Bill, can you say something about what it was for you? Because I think of you as being one of the main spearheaders of that effort. Well, the thought crossed my mind uh, with regard to Mako's mother. Uh, it, what a great honor it was. Um, and in a way, that is all our futures. And so to be part of that uh, in a very close way and uh, share the joy that she had. Yeah. Um, it gave me a different perspective, uh, I have to say. I got so much from it. Um, 
And it was a little bit scary because I didn't know her. Yeah. So, uh, but no, uh, I, I feel very fortunate and as I say, uh, honored to be part of it and uh, also all the people who shared it. It was so nice that they popped up and didn't know what to bring exactly, but tried and then sometimes she'd answer the door, sometimes she wouldn't. Uh, and then the final ceremony was, uh, of course, uh, uh, quite wonderful. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's a brought a wonderful uh, a sense of community for those who uh, participated. And I, and I would say, stick your neck out and give it a try, because uh, in the end, uh, it does come back in uh, remarkable ways. Not to say that sometimes it's not a little fumbling and you feel a little comfortable. And Absolutely. That's all part of it, I guess. We are so good at the fumbling. <laughs> <laughs> I know I am. I certainly am. It's in the fumbling around that we express our vulnerability, that we express our, our human heart and our human frailty. And even if we are not somebody who ever asks for help, to know that there's a place where the invitation is extended to those who need to ask for help, to share in the joys of our human life, as well as in the travails, the sadnesses. And by doing this, uh, and extending, through, we, this zendo is like a little crucible, right, of people who come and sit. And we don't know what they're dealing with when people come and sit. It's only when they come, uh, they become a little bit more involved, and they might speak and say, and it's always a little scary, right? Very scary. Our whole practice is a practice that is coming up against our own fears. That's where the courage comes from. That's where bravery, that's how something becomes brave, right? Because it's tender, because we're vulnerable, and yet we stand in the middle of it. We acknowledge it, and we acknowledge each other. So, uh, I want to just say uh, to encourage people who um, are part of this community, we have a we're going to be having a membership brunch next next week. Um, if you're interested in becoming a member of the community, please come to the brunch. Please sign up. We have uh, we're going to have table individual table settings, but there's still about maybe ten spaces I think from what we originally thought, maybe eleven spaces at our tables. It'll be a hand done meal made by. Uh, loving Sangha members, and then we'll hear some of the, the people speak about what it means to be part of a community, what it means to be a member, in particular in this case, to be a pledging member. But um, even not being a pledging member, just being somebody who shows up and, and volunteers, and or not, not volunteers, even people who just come and, and utilize the space however their, uh, their situation requires. Right? I can't tell you how many people come to the Zen centers like this when they're having a hard time. And they come just to have a, a moment of quiet, a moment of peace. Right? We exist to support everybody who comes to those doors. Even the people who don't come to the doors, who come and sit <laughs> or sleep <laughs> on the porch swing at 
you know, four in the morning. <laughs> we extend our compassion and our support to those people too. So I hope uh, I hope you feel it when you walk in the in this in this building, when you're walking in the grounds. I hope you feel the care and the attentive attention to detail that goes into taking care of this place, and uh, and that it inspires you to extend your own care, and your own uh, ability to be there and to listen deeply to other members of our world, human or otherwise, and that we continue to create and cultivate this as a brave space for each other and for all beings. I think uh, after this, after the tea and cookies, Tim, are you willing to do a little, we can have a little Q&A sure. um, here in the Zendo afterwards? So we'll go ahead and set up, take everything away and leave a couple, just a couple seats in here. And uh, if we need more seats, we can bring them down. Okay. All right, thank you very much.